Hello, and welcome back to Why Inclusion, the podcast series that questions what diversity and inclusion mean for asset managers. I am your host, Victoire Barbain-Perron, and I am delighted to be dedicating this episode to the latest issue of CityWire's Alpha Female Report. Over the past five years, Alpha Female has analyzed the state of gender parity in the portfolio management industry. And to dissect its latest findings, I am joined by two very exciting guests. Dr. Nisha Long, who is head of cross-border research at CityWire and who's been leading the Alpha Female research since its first inception. Hello, Nisha. Hello. And I'm also joined by Deborah Gilson, an independent advisor who is committed to gender equality, amongst other things such as sustainability, governance, and diversity. She has been instrumental in building the 30% Club UK Investor Group into the global coalition of institutional investors that it is today. But that's not all. In 2011, she also founded the 100% Club, a network that is dedicated to the advancement of women. Deborah, welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. So we're gathered here today over Zoom to discuss the findings of Alpha Female 2020, which, spoiler alert, show that little progress has been made in promoting women fund managers. According to the research, it will take 200 years until we reach gender parity in portfolio management. Nisha, yeah. I know that it would be naive to think that progress um, and change happens overnight, but I think that 200 years is sort of pushing it. It is pushing it a lot, but those figures have actually come from the fact that in 2016, when we first um, crunched these numbers, so following 16,000 managers worldwide, 10.3% of that 16,000 were female. And yeah. you know, move forward five years now, we've done the report five years later, well, we've been doing it every single year since 2016, but in 2020, it moved slightly the dial to 11%. It was stuck on 10% for four years, but even that movement is the tiniest movement that we've seen, you know, since the start of this report. And with those levels, that's why we've come up with that figure of 200 years at the current rate, if we carried on like this year on year, it really would take 200 years if we can get any kind of gender parity. In fund management. Were you surprised, Deborah, by this figure? Um, I was surprised by the lack of progress in the last five years. Um, so, yeah, the final figure from, to, from this year's research does surprise me. Um, but I also think we all can't wait 200 years. And I don't think the asset management industry can afford to wait that long either. This is so, this has so many repercussions um, and implications for the future of this asset management industry. And not just on gender diversity, but on a wider representation of the people ultimately is here to serve. So um, I think yeah. the numbers really reveal many other aspects that, that we need to debate and, and be aware of. So. I'm not surprised uh, by the low number. I'm surprised at the lack of progress. Um, mm. But I think we really need to accelerate change now and, and mm. long-term change. But so this number shows that there's um, little female asset managers um, in the industry. But what seems to be the biggest problem, do you think, Nisha? Is it because women do not access the asset management industry? Or is it because... What is the 
crux of the problem? Um, firstly, I think, you know, to give some credit to some asset management firms, they have had, you know, some kind of targets, you know, at the firms. Um, so following this, these report and doing the research, you know, for five years now, um, they have had graduate schemes. So you have parity at the entry level. Um, you, it's getting right. there, you know, encouraging more females to come through the door. Um, but when it comes to fund management, that is later, a bit later in, onto their careers. Um, what we did this year was a deep dive into turnover numbers. So how many female fund managers are starting on a fund and leaving a fund. Um, we've, we analyzed this over the last 10 years and the results we found are very stark, actually. This, we've been doing it, running it for two years, but um, this year we're putting it out there that in 2020, over the last 10 years, taking the average of all the asset management firms that we track at CityWire, mm. female turn, fund manager turnover is 42% compared to male turnover of 27% in the last 10 years. So you can see that number, you know, for females is quite stark. And what is more discerning is that we did first do this last year. So looking back 10 years um, from last year, and the female turnover was 40% at that time. So actually it's moved backwards. Well, it's now up, yeah, so it's now at 42%. And male turnover is 28%, which, okay, male is, is gone down to 27%, but female is again, moving to the wrong direction. And I think what this is indicative of is um, that they don't stay as long in the firms. So that number not moving, that 11% on now, I think one of the main reasons could be the turnover effect. So what, they are getting through the door, but if they're not staying, there's mm. a problem. And that's why that dial is not moving at all. Right. And it's a long time to say five years, there must have been a problem, you know, there must be some kind of issue behind that. So maybe one of them is turnover. Are there any common patterns for companies that cannot retain talent? Um, from our findings, um, at the moment, the companies we have researched, the companies that have some kind of target or a measurable, um, you know, to measure some kind of target that this many females should be coming through the door, um, mm -hmm. attracting the females, um, how to keep them for flexibility, gen, you know, diversity. So people, you know, for example, I'm just going to pick up one company, um, Schroeder's that did uh, attract my attention because they do have some policies in place for diversity and inclusion. And within their gender diversity, they had um, that by the end of 2019, they wanted 30% of um, females in senior management positions, which they did achieve. So those, Schroeder's is one of the groups who has, in the turnover figures, have done well at retaining their female fund managers. Or mm. what we've seen is in the female fund managers who are moving on from Schroeder's as well. They're getting, they're getting promoted into, they're moving for career pro progression. It wasn't, you know, maybe that they just didn't want to stay at Schroeder's. It was just for progression. So I can see, you know, if you have some kind of policy targets, in my research, I've seen that has happened. And on the flip side, companies that we've seen that haven't fared very well in these turnover stats, they have no kind of maybe quotas, you know, checks, yeah. diversity, you know, some kind of inclusion or having somebody to monitor those situations. So it hasn't come about. I'm not sure if you've seen that as well, Deborah. No, I mean, I, I think um, kudos to CityWire and to you, Nisha, for doing this research, doing it consistently and publishing it because data is so important and how we measure progress or lack thereof of progress and, and, and perhaps to begin to understand 
the, the, the challenges. And, and I think the piece on measurable targets um, is, is quite similar to what we've seen on progress on gender diversity on board, for example. It's not the only solution um, and it's not just about meeting aspirational targets, but having something that senior management and corporate leaders are held to account for in terms of targets and the data that backs up whether they're meeting those targets or not is, is so important. So I think that the, the data point is quite key and also this piece around diversity and inclusion policies. Again, yeah. it can't just be about policies, but the barriers that hold women back um, and the barriers that women face within organisations often are similar to other underrepresented marginalised groups. And I think there's a much wider debate about diversity and inclusion um, starting with gender but talking about race, race, ethnicity, disability and all types of underrepresentation which is, which is so core to the future of finance as well. So um, I think it's important that this data is available so that we can analyse and compare and contrast over years as well. So thank you for doing it. Thank mm. you. And Deborah, as an independent advisor, mm-hmm. you also probably have an additional perspective on what it what it would mean to have um like perfect gender parity yeah um how does an absence of gender parity affect investments so i mean you asked me at the beginning what whether i was surprised by some of these figures what i'm actually really amazed at and surprised at is it's taken us so long to recognize the underrepresentation of women in society more generally um, and in yeah. asset management in particular. So we are 51% of the population after all. Uh, but this to me has met many ramifications from an investment perspective, not just in terms of investment performance and how interesting that Goldman Sachs have just come out with some research that shows that mixed gender teams um, and all female teams actually have outperformed uh, all male teams um, from the research that they've done. So this is beginning, we're beginning to get evidence that this impacts investment performance. And I think we all understand the value of cognitive diversity in teams. Uh, That's not just about investment ideas, but it's also about the challenge to investment ideas, which has got to be at the core of excellence in portfolio management um, and asset management. But I think as well, there is a client perspective to this. So you know, I advise pension funds um, and asset managers, and a lot of pension funds are increasingly now assessing the diversity of their asset managers or any potential asset manager that they may give money to to manage. Um, It's through RFPs, it's through ongoing um, monitoring, but also that's not just within institutional investment, you're seeing it within wealth management. So Bank of America just came out recently and said that they're going to assess diversity from a compliance perspective of all of the fund management teams um, in their database and that will impact how they recommend to clients. And I think that will tip over into IFAs as well and how they look uh, how asset managers may differentiate themselves from competitors and, and diversity and inclusion may be a, a competitive differentiating factor. So I think what's interesting is all parts of the investment chain, the client side of the investment chain is beginning to step up here. So this isn't just about not having enough women in investment yeah. teams. This has much wider ramifications. Um, and for me as well, this is ultimately about rebuilding trust in asset management and financial services. Uh, financial services is the least trusted sector, according to the Edelman survey, which 
I think comes out every, it comes out every year, but at least for the last eight years, financial services is the least trusted sector. And I think diversity is a solution to rebuilding trust and, yeah. and connecting asset management back to the people that it ultimately serves because we have a diverse population that want to save and want to invest into the stock market. Mm. No, I just want to add as well, because when you just mentioned the Goldman Sachs, um, in the 2018, we actually did, the Alpha Female report was about mixed teams and how they performed better in, you know, compared to all male teams, all female teams even, or single managed funds. And uh, it just, you know, it strikes a note that it's not just about getting the females in there. There is investment performance to be had know some added alpha to have in there there's diverse thinking cognitive behaviors are different and it all helps and i think um as you all know that if you have a diverse board we've seen it in so many research um papers or articles a diverse board your company is going to perform better in the majority of cases so i think there's a strong case you know for mixed teams you know having that thinking together it is going to be positive, you know, for the industry as a whole. But if that encourages women into the fund management industry, I think that's, you know, even better. It's a positive. Yeah. And, mm. and there's lots of interesting evidence. I'm, I'm interested in my governance perspective. And there's lots of yeah. interesting evidence that governance improves in team decision making when you have more diversity. But the other angle for finance is that women are a growing economic powerhouse. Wealth is being transferred through work and longevity of, of women compared to men. Uh, women tend to be longer term thinkers. They tend to want to do more and better with their money. They tend to want to invest in ethical and responsible investment funds. Uh, and there's obviously a huge growth in environmental, social and governance funds, the area that I specialize in at the minute. And so if the asset management industry wants to really leverage the input of capital into those funds. It will be female, you know, capital, female-led decision-making. Um, and if we want women, we really need women to invest for their future and for their pensions. And if we think we've got a really poor gender pay gap, the gender pensions gap is even bigger. Uh, so I think it's really interesting how you start with your brilliant report, Nisha, and some data points and trying to unpick what's going on. But we soon, you know, are, are thinking about much bigger themes. And this is why these issues are interconnected. And we need to think about interconnected solutions, because I think sometimes the solutions we apply are a little bit too narrow and too discreet. And the mixed themes that you've both mentioned, um, according to the report again, uh, seem to be a solution towards inclusivity, as you hinted, Nisha. But do you have any, any concrete, tangible names of um, successful asset managers that have a great number of mixed teams, for instance? Um, there's quite a few. Um, there's, for example, there's Bailey Gifford, who have been doing very well recently, yeah. um, having mixed teams, but also having more females come on board as well, but also, you know, shooting the lights out basically doing really well um i think one of the things with mixed teams i think it's a plus for asset management firms as well teams in general you are kind of so we've had th things like tim hayward um neil woodford saga um star manager, manager. you know profile yeah. exactly so i think this is their way of getting away from that star manager culture which i think they need to do anyway because it could you know it was hemorrhaging assets from companies and at the end of the day, mixed teams, as you know, we've seen through research and various outlets have done the research as well as ourselves about mixed teams having that performance. 
So we have seen a huge growth actually since the start of this report. It's about 60, just get my figures out, mixed teams have risen by almost 60% in our database. That just shows you, you know, this move for team structure, but also getting this diverse, you know, um, group of people together. Um, mm. And I think it's, a, it's quite a positive. I think we, as asset management firms want to move away from single managed funds and move more towards a team structure, this may help, you know, encourage more females and have more role models, maybe in, you know, the asset management industry. Mm. People go by, yeah. okay, if that firm has females, I may fit in there, you know, want to go there as well. Um, it's just, you know, you see, you first see what's happening mm-hmm. and um, you follow suit. I think the other interesting aspect of this is that, you know, it's clear that asset management isn't only about investment performance. Part of that investment performance role is holding companies to account. So there's been a huge drive on investment stewardship, shareholder engagement, which I specialise in as well. And as more and more investors focus on diversity and inclusion as a way in which they hold their invested companies to account and and seek investment performance but responsible um, corporate citizenship as well and and looking for diversity inclusion within their invested companies the onus on the asset management industry itself to address its own problems becomes even more um, acute and again I think that's another example where these issues are interconnected so the federal percent club investor group which I was part of um, you know we were you have to be aware of your own diversity internally and on your board um, and in your uh, in your investment teams as well so these these issues come to the fore um all of the time now in a much more um, visible way mm-hmm. yeah absolutely i agree with you deborah i think with the rise of esg funds especially you know fund managers are coming under scrutiny of what they have in their portfolios but then ultimately is passing through so if you are so rigorous with your governance side you know looking at the governance side of these companies are you actually doing that within your own firm as well so you don't want to be a hypocrite in that so i think that will hopefully boost you know diversity and inclusion within fund management Mm -hmm. talking about role models can we go back and um and look at what else could be done because you mentioned bailey gifford nisha and i was actually talking to two fund managers from bailey gifford recently and they were saying that they were purposefully role models they were mentors whether it was for like a former mentorship or an informal one um but so when when you think of maybe smaller boutiques or asset managers who do not have those role models what else can be done like i think yeah yeah, i i think basically um people like deborah (laughs) Um, the net um, absolutely you you know trying to get those people together and the networks you know the networking i think is ultimately you know it's a very powerful thing for women to go out and network and especially for the smaller as you mentioned the smaller boutiques you know who may not have those models there but if you're Mm -hmm. part of these networks you know you can get that um thinking and get those role models you know as a part of that so i think in bigger companies, I think they do have an advantage that, yes, they will have hopefully more female fund managers and who, you know, others can look up to and follow mm-hmm. the career paths. But then, you know, it is also how do you get those people coming into the asset management industry, you know, to start off with is getting those role models 
in front of those people as well, maybe in schools, universities, you know, um, and how it has helped them. How have they got into it? And just looking back at my career, I didn't really know about fund management when, at school at all. I had no idea what it was. I'm not sure there's quite a lot of people at the moment. I know my son has no idea, mm. even if I'm, I'm working with fund managers every day. Um, it is starting really early. That is a viable career option, you know, mm. for everyone um, to take part in. And so I, I think networking for me personally, I think is, you know, quite a powerful thing. Yeah. And no. Deborah, yeah, you've been promoting networking since um, probably earlier than 2011, but with the 100% club. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I just think this is, it's so fundamental to, to progress in your career, men or women, but the reality is that women's have, women have been kept out of, of, of networks uh, for, for quite a while. So there's a brilliant quote from Professor Julia Hobsbawm, who is a professor of networking, and she says that networks empower people and the least economically empowered are women. Um, and the Alison Rose Review of Female Entrepreneurship from last year identified lack of access to networks as a key barrier that female entrepreneurs face in terms of uh, getting funding um, and the review found that only one in three UK entrepreneurs are, are female so I think there's massive read across to other parts of finance and other parts of the investment chain in terms of the access to networks that women need and the 100% club is trying to address that by providing a, a platform across um, subsectors within the financial services industry and, and related industries uh, to allow women to uh, have a platform to come together to network to empower each other to collaborate but also to provide inspirational relatable role models because there's lots of evidence about you know lack of role models and the need for relatable role models um, within finance as well and I think that representation is so important here as well there's nothing more depressing than being you know part of an organization and when you look up you don't see anybody that looks like you and actually I think the reason why we need um, women's networks and gender networks as it provides an opportunity for people to see other people that look like them as well and work in the industry. So it's, it's, um, there's loads of interesting academic research behind the need for networks um, and what they bring to pro professional development and career advancement. But I do think it's about corporate culture as well. Um, I think people decide to leave organisations because they, yeah. they just find that the corporate culture doesn't fit with their, their values and what they're about. And, and it's about making corporate culture better for everybody, not just for women or other underrepresented marginalised groups. Uh, so yeah. that networks is part of the solution, but yeah. companies would be mistaken to think that what they have to do is form a women's network and that's job done. Yeah. There's so yeah. much more that has to be done. Uh, but if it's done strategically uh, and well thought through as part of a more holistic programme, it can be they can be very effective. Absolutely. I think, I, yeah, definitely. I just wanted to pick up on your uh, the culture aspect as well. I think um, one of the, when we were doing a deep dive into looking at the companies with turnover, um, just looking at where the female managers ended up, um, there was quite a few actually after maternity leave, um, having stopped fund managing and not necessarily leaving the firm but moving on to a different role for in strategy risk management and I was just thinking maybe that was due to flexibility having to work part-time not being able to um, continue the fund management role in the same capacity as they were before um, so that could be one of the reasons why 
the you know female fund managers the turnover could be higher because mm-hmm. of that aspect but i don't think that's just that's the only reason at all um you know there's more to it but I, what i am hoping we've all experienced now during this covid pandemic you know the flexibility of being able to work at home and still yeah. be very productive um and I'm hoping anyway next year the numbers when we crunch them again we will see those numbers you know reduce a lot hopefully hopefully yeah um you mentioned COVID despite um the COVID Deborah have you been able to um continue to provide networks for women yeah what have you had to doing How can women who are interested um, <laughs> be part of it? Join your network. <laughs> well, membership is still f- membership is still free. It didn't feel the appropriate time to introduce a, a membership fee, but um, it continues to grow, um, and people continue to be interested in being part of it. Um, I provide a quarterly newsletter. I've been collaborating with. Um, on webinars and speaking on webinars and, and I'm hoping to also do some 100% club webinars and later in the year as well once I improve my technolo- technological understanding of Zoom uh, but actually just the ability to connect people you know if some of my members wanted a mentor and some of my members wanted to be a mentor so just even being able to do that through COVID um, and, and being able to help a little bit in terms of as people have had more time um, to to maybe think about their careers or or how we move forward and what the challenges we may face as a global workforce going forward as well well hopefully it will help um female fund managers and just female in general um (laughs) access the industries they want to access and then um stay in those firms if they want to stay in those firms because of a great corporate culture yeah but i think as well the the covid piece has really emphasized inequalities and obviously systemic racism is part of the important so so much part of this debate now and so we kind of have to stop thinking about these issues as discrete and, and women and, and ethnic groups and just think about yeah, yeah. the intersectionality of it as well so maybe that's future research that that CityWire can do um, I know the numbers for for black and ethnic minority portfolio managers is extremely poor and we have to think about ways that we address that as well. Mm. And this is why we have Why Inclusion, this new podcast series, Indeed. Which, <laughs> which looks yeah. at all the issues of diversity and inclusion. Thanks again for joining, uh, Nisha, Deborah. Thank you. Thank and you. for sharing your valuable insights on an issue that is yet to be resolved. Dear listeners, if you wish to find out more episodes of Why Inclusion, you can go and check out the rest of the series on the CityWire podcast that is available on Spotify. Bye for now.